Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Blog Talk Radio. Your host, Oscar Lopez, here. We're going to have an exciting show today. We're going to be talking to the beautiful and talented Nicole Rodriguez of the NRPR group. Um, she's going to be talking pretty much uh, PR stuff with us this whole uh, 15, 20 minutes of her uh, time with us. We're going to be talking NFL, talking off the field stuff, and we're going to be talking college football. Uh, the bowl games are in all in effect. Uh, NFL Week 14, the recap as well. And we're going to dive into off-season news and notes in the women's gridiron news in the U.S., plus internationally over in Mexico. Uh, two finals there, plus gridiron West and gridiron New South Wales getting ready for their final as well at the Opal Bowl Series. So uh, let's uh, bring in my co-host here, Holly Custis the all-star WFA all-star and the college football guru, Troy Wilson uh, guys. Uh, it's been an exciting week of NFL, but more exciting at this point, Heisman trophy winner announced uh, for college football and the bowl uh, seedings for all the teams that are making the bowls and including the top four. Um, so uh, Troy, let's start with you. Do you feel like uh, they got it right? in terms of the top four at this point? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, you had some people who were a little bit surprised that Alabama made it in there because, um, you know, some people uh, had an issue with their schedule. Um, And their schedule was not difficult. Um, But at the same time, I just think there is a thing for, you know, Alabama is still Alabama. I mean, and when you watched them play, you did feel like that they were one of the top four teams in the nation. The other team that they were looking at was Ohio State, and I would have a hard time putting Ohio State in there, number one, with two losses, and, and number two, um, one of those – well, both of those losses were about blowout losses. One to Oklahoma, which you can understand. The other one was to Iowa in Ames. Um, but, listen, if you lose by 31 points – I'm sorry, that doesn't qualify you to be in one of the top four positions. And you can't say Alabama did that when Alabama lost to an Auburn team, which is their rival. And they didn't lose by all that much, and it was more of a fluky play. Um, The voters did get the chance to look at that game, and they paid close attention to that game. And so it would be very hard for them to keep Alabama out of it. But, yeah, I definitely agree with the top four. Holly, are you in the same uh, agreement here? Yeah, I think they they got it right, actually. I think uh, Clemson's been strong all year. 
like um, uh, Troy was talking about, uh, you know, Alabama had that that one loss, and but I think every I think everything else worked out the way it was supposed to. I think those conference championship games really helped decide those final four positions. I think it should be a really exciting um, playoff, uh, and we get to see. Uh, you know, some some rematches there uh, between Clemson and, and Alabama. And, um, you know, Oklahoma and Georgia should be a really good game as well. I think Ohio State, in my opinion, I don't think they deserve to be in the playoffs, so I'm glad that they didn't make it. And Wisconsin's schedule, I think, was just too weak. Um, and Auburn, I think, was a solid team, but uh, uh, probably the best three lost team in the country, but, you know, if you lose three games, it's really hard to put you in there. I think the rest of the, the teams in, in the top ten are, are just a step below. So I think they actually got it right, which is which is good, and we'll see how it plays out and who ends up on top. Troy, uh, the, the actual play, bowl formatting starts this December 16th, but the top four, we don't get the, you know, the the gist of that until the almost uh, New Year's Day, right? Well, um, that's correct. And, and but most of the games, you know, you have some games that are you know up there, like the Capital One, well, the Orange Bowl. That one is pretty much settled. Uh, you have Miami and Wisconsin; uh, they're going to play in that game. Uh, you have the Cotton Bowl, uh, USC and Ohio State. That's going to be a heck of a matchup between number eight and number five. Uh, you still have the Outback Bowl versus Michigan and South Carolina. Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl is UCF versus <clears> Auburn. <throat> and the Citrus Bowl, you have Notre Dame versus uh, LSU. So you do have some big games that are up there. But, you know, as far as the Fiesta Bowl and the Rose Bowl, those haven't necessarily been settled yet. And so we're still kind of waiting to see, um, you know, how those are going to shake out. But, I mean, we do have some incredible matchups coming uh, nonetheless. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching a few of these. Some of them you haven't really seen these teams kind of match up before. And, you know, you want to see these cross-country teams, how they're going to travel, um, how they're going to equip themselves. Some of these guys uh, had some injuries during the season. And you want to see, um, you know, now that some of these guys are healed up after a month later, what are they going to look like? This is a pivotal point for every team that has made a bowl game because what they want to do is they want to be riding high going into 2018. And this is a great time to build that momentum and that cohesiveness. And they can see if they can – this will be a springboard step for their team and, uh, and also to see how much potential these players have going forward. Holly, we, uh, so Quan Barkley finished fourth in the trophy uh, run for the Heisman. Did that surprise you, or is it because Penn State just couldn't finish strong enough? Um, it doesn't surprise me because the Heisman Trophy is, is, a, is a tricky award because it you not only have to be a really good player, but it's also kind of a showmanship type award. And if your team ends up falling off at the end of the season, what happens is there's less eyeballs watching you play. And the less eyeballs watching you play, it's like people forget about you. And I think, I think honestly, he, in my opinion, was the best player in college football this year, the most dynamic. But I think because his team fell off a bit and they weren't as relevant at the end, people just kind of 
uh, forgot about them a little bit. And uh, but that's, you know, it's, of course, something that you want to win as a college football player, the Heisman. But at the end of the day, he's going to end up in the NFL and he's going to be just fine. Um, I do think uh, Baker Mayfield is, is is a really good quarterback, but I think Barkley is a better player overall. But that's just my opinion. Um, but what happens is at the end of the year, you're talking about all these uh, writers across the country, and of course they have busy schedules. So the more relevant you are, and the more big time games you're in, the more they're probably going to see you play as opposed to a team that's not very good. So um, I'm not surprised. All right, Troy, you feel like uh, well, Lamar almost had it again, right? Lamar came in second. So, uh, you know, did he deserve to come in second? Because you had Bryce Love as well. I, honestly, I believe Bryce Love should have came in second. I mean, just what Bryce Love has done, um, and a lot of people, he burst onto the scene, you know, being behind Christian McCaffrey last year. Um, and so he was a bit of an unknown. I, I follow Stanford football, so I knew what kind of back that they had. But even I didn't predict that this kid would almost rush for 2,000 yards. And he did that with half the season. You know, he was dealing with a high ankle sprain, and he missed two games. So he still ran for 1,977 yards. He was the most dynamic running back in, that I've seen in college football. And I know everybody wants to talk about Saquon Barkley. But listen, Saquon Barkley could not – you can't give him the Heisman Trophy with some of the performances that he that he put on the field. Um, you know, against Indiana, he ran for 56 yards. Uh, Northwestern, he ran for 75 yards. Ohio State game, he ran for 44. Michigan State, 63 yards. Against Rutgers, he had 14 carries for 35 yards. I mean, you, you really can't win the Heisman Trophy – uh, or even be one of the finalists in, in the top three with those kind of numbers and those kind of games where Bryce Love was pretty much consistent all the way across the board. Uh, with Lamar Jackson, he was a bit of an afterthought. I mean, listen, this guy was the most dynamic football player in, in college football last year, and he came in as an afterthought with, um, uh, you know, with, with a lot of other guys coming in with bigger ac- accolades. And, and, and so they had a bit of a better publicist. Not to mention he lost two of the big games in the beginning of the season. Uh, and, and it really wasn't due to him. He wasn't having bad games, um, you know, especially the game against Clemson comes to mind where it looked, seemed like he was really the only player that Louisville had on offense. And he kept that game even as close as it was. So, you know, it, it just seemed like with Lamar Jackson, it was really up against him. And and just like Holly said, it's a bit of a fickle thing when it comes to Heisman Trophy winners or being up for a finalist because he really was just not getting a hold of the publicity that he was getting last year. And he actually had a better year this year than he did last year. So it was a bit surprising that he didn't get as much push. But you can't take away from Baker Mayfield. He had an incredible year. He had a record-setting year. Um, really the only thing that was really uh, stopping Baker Mayfield from from getting the trophy would have been if he lost another game because he he did start to have some on-the-field things that were just not as savory, you know, to some people's eyes. Um, so, you know, this year was just a very odd odd mix of everything. But, you know, congratulations to Baker Mayfield. I thought he was a heck of a quarterback last year as well, and this year he was just playing lights out. Now the a, uh, the SEC seems to be dominating the bowl scene. It's it's probably the strongest right conference of all of them. So is 
that shouldn't surprise anybody, right? Well, it uh, yes and no. Um, so the way that the bowl system works is uh, you have the playoff, right, and then you have the top four bowl games. You have like the Rose, Sugar, um, and all those bowl games, and then underneath that, you go with your conference tie-in. And so the SEC has a lot of tie-ins with different bowl games, which means, for example, in the Pac-12, typically the winner of the Pac-12 will go to the Rose Bowl unless it's like this year where the Rose Bowl is slated for one of the playoff games. And so then the next number two seed is tied to a different bowl, number three seed is tied to a different bowl, et cetera, right? So the SEC, I'm pretty sure, has the most tie-ins with bowl games of any other conference, you know, and I think historically because they've been so good. And then after I, you get I through my, those seedings. I took my notes, and it was like nine bowl games that you have SEC yes. teams in, in like nine bowl games. Wow. So, and the majority of those are probably tie-in games. And then after that, then it's at bid bowl, which means the bowl committee for that bowl game has the right to decide who they want to put in that game. Uh, but yes, it's 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 both. It's that they're really good, and it's that they have a really good network of bowl games tied into their conference. Troy, you always talk about the money and um, where they sit in and opportunities throughout the season. You were talking about how certain teams, even though they lose, they go to play a bigger squad for obviously some payout. So, so this is kind of like uh, the top a uh, top nine bowls here kind of a reward for all these SEC teams and programs. Yeah, I mean, because they are, I mean, over the the past few years, they have really been the dominant conference. I mean, um, Alabama's won, what, uh, three of the last four national championships. And and so it's really hard to, to say otherwise at this point. I mean, because they just have been, you know, a step above everyone else, and they have represented themselves in their, in their conference in bowl games a lot more than the other conferences. But I start, I'm starting to see that the it's starting to close in. Uh, ACC is starting to pick up, and you know, Clemson now has become a stalwart, and they have become a fixture in the national championship uh, landscape. What they've been in the, uh, in the in the NCAA playoffs the last three years, the Big Ten is starting to just become you know uh, it's actually a war of attrition in that conference because every year there seems to be a dark horse that comes out of there along with Penn State and Ohio State being up around amongst the top uh, teams that are there. So teams are starting to catch up, and then also you look at the head-to-head matchups. Um, you know, you have uh, the intra conference mashups. The Big Ten has actually been winning these games against the SEC. So I think the, the, the country is really starting to catch up talent-wise and competitiveness-wise with the SEC. And this is actually, you know, some people are really down on Alabama this year, believe it or not. So there is starting to be a there, – there is, um, you know, uh, starting to be a change of mindset with other conferences starting to get their due as much as the SEC – but they are still the dominant conference at this point. All right. So, everybody, you guys can go to Zazzle.com, forward slash Grand Beauties for the holidays. Uh, check out all the stuff we have there, hoodies, keys, leggings, holiday gifts via Zazzle as well. Uh, so, check it out at Zazzle.com, forward slash Grand Beauties. Order early so you can get your stuff early. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's ordered 
Uh, the uh, Not a Boys Game shirts are going out the door here. Really, really appreciated. Uh, as well as the uh, Yes, I'm a Girl, I Play Football shirts. They've been going out the door really well. So um, I really appreciate everybody diving into the Zazzle.com forward slash Gridiron Beauty site at the No Joke Football Shop. All right, so we are going to have in the No Joke Football huddle, you guys, the talented and beautiful uh, Nicole Rodriguez of the NRPR group, the award-winning NRPR group, uh, in the house. And we're going to be talking pretty much PR and Raiders. So, Nicole, uh, happy holidays. Thanks for coming on to the show again, making the time. I know you're a busy lady. And uh, we're going to be pretty much pretty excited. What are, you, what are your thoughts so far of the NFL season? Well, I, I think it's been a great season for, uh, obviously, for the Raiders. I think uh, we, we, we were off to a better start last season. And um, I just hope that the momentum uh, doesn't die out. I think there's still a lot that we can prove this season. I think it's, it's unfortunate that, in, in my opinion, um, poor Derek Carr getting hurt at the end of the season last year, I think what's happening is he's definitely playing it safe with the injury. And I think that um, it, you can see it a little bit in the field uh, just from, from what I've seen. I mean, I was just at the, the game uh, in Oakland against Denver, which was a very exciting game um, where, you know, sort of that, that passion was there. But there are just a, a couple of games that I've seen where I just knew that the, the Raider energy wasn't fully there. And, um, and I do. I feel bad for Carr because I definitely don't want to see him get hurt again. But you can tell when, when there is a player that's trying to protect his injury, which, you know, which is fair. Yeah, and, and they had a good season, good start. Um, just seems like they're just in the middle of the pack now from the beginning. So, and to your point, yes, um, that is a major factor. Um, Nicole, let's talk about you and your awesome success so far this year. Last year you got the uh, Bulldog Award. So tell us a little bit about yeah. uh, what uh, NRPR is doing. Yeah, so we had a, another really, really great year. So this year, um, me personally, um, I won uh, as the, I think it's like a PR God, what, what was the exact title? It's um, like a, a leader in the industry or something. I know PR News named me a game changer this year. Bulldog Reporter named me something else. And then the Stevie Awards recognized me as like woman of the, of the year in, in PR, marketing, and advertising. So I think that what's happening is NRPR as a game changer in itself and a and a role model, I think, for other agencies that it's finally starting to pick up that um, not only are we just getting an incredible amount of inbound requests from clients, which, you know, we've actually had to turn a lot down because, you know, I don't want to grow us so fast that we lose ourselves. I'm very big on great, you know, support to my, um, my existing customer base, but it's just, it's been an incredible year this past year. And I think a lot of hard work finally coming to fruition and um, me personally, which I'm humbled and honored to be recognized um, this way and the agency in general. So a lot of work. I know it, get, it goes to it. A lot of people don't see the behind the scenes, the, uh, you know, the stressfulness of the business end of things. And then you got to take care of your, your clientele. So congratulations on all the stuff that you've done and that your team has done, uh, you know, and combined Thank with you. that and all the awards. 
So, uh, you know, it takes hard work to do anything or to build anything. So uh, no, no days yeah. off, as my, uh, my grandmother would say. You don't take days off. You take days off, you're not going to be in the mix. So uh, um, Troy and uh, Holly here, one's my college football girl. The other is a uh, women's football tackle football player, all-star, as well as a passionate college football uh, player. So um, we are going to talk about some stuff, uh, Nicole. The, the off-the-field stuff. With the, you know, with the NFL, we talked about it last time we were here about domestic violence and all this other stuff, but now it's yeah. like, there just seems to be so much stuff with, you know, just allegations. Uh, let's just take a Ezekiel Elliott situation where, yeah. um, in my view, I think the, the players association should take ownership of making those decisions and uh, the NFL should stick yeah. just to the on-field infractions. I don't know why, um, I mean, that's my two cents. I don't know why the NFLPA does not take a leadership role in that. You know, you got a player with in- in- situations off the field. I don't think it's Roger Goodell's job to decide that. I think it should be a recommendation by the NFL Players Association where, where that player should stand and then make the NFL just make the on-field call if it's, a, if it's something related to the on-field. Uh, because, you know, we go to court, right? You get, you get it. Let's say you get, yeah. I get alleged for something. At some point, you get a court date. So we have to make a decision whether I still work between now and the court date or do I, you know, get time off unpaid or paid or what? So I think there's a lot of like wishy-washy things that the NFL doesn't, hasn't corrected. In other words, with certain situations. I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's so unfortunate, right? Like the NFL at the end of the day is a business and we get it right. The, the games and Games have to be played. Teams have to make money, right? And how do they make money? A lot of the times it's from the tickets. It's from people tuning in on television. It's from the ads. And at the end of the day, all of this goes back to, you know, this being a business. And um, issues that are happening off the field, I think you just look at the, the outside perspective that if people aren't, properly being dealt with. I mean, think of what, what sort of, um, I don't know, what, what kind of image that this is portraying to the NFL that, yep, you can play for the NFL. What that means is that you've got a golden ticket out of every problem that you have, and because you play well, we still need you on the field, so you can deal with that later. But the issue with the NFL is that there is no such thing as just being off the field. Just like with a celebrity, like your image is tied to this game, and I just I think it, it sets a really bad example when you know you're you're basically telling these players that it's totally okay and you can come to work every day and we we're going to go ahead and turn the other cheek. Troy, you got anything for Nicole here on regarding those kind of things, off-field stuff with PR? Yeah, actually, um, you know, a story just broke out um, uh, today. Uh, regarding uh, the NFL Network and some of the um, the commentators that were on there, mm-hmm. alleging also with the um, with sexual assault, and you know some of these things, man. I, I'm 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 reading it and I'm just like, it, it. I don't. It just seems to be, and I don't know. These are you know early allegations, so you know they're guilty until I mean into proving guilty, but it you know I think this is actually one of the ones where I've seen is kind of the opposite where, you know, most of the time what you've seen is people have been fired just due to the accusation, but now they 
what the NFL Network has done was suspended these guys. But from what I've seen, there looks like to be actual proof that these things were going on. And what I'm trying to figure out is, and from your perspective, because this seems to be a, a huge storm, what does mm-hmm. the NFL do to combat these things? Because it is just, it's not, it's not just coming from players. Now it's coming from ex-players. It's coming from people who are representing the NFL by doing commentating, uh, by doing analysis. I mean, so it's coming from yeah. pretty much every single angle. How does the NFL rein this thing in? Because it is now getting out of control. And it's not just, obviously, it's not just the NFL. It's coming in through from politics to uh, television, the movies. So what does the NFL do to, to rein this thing in? To, because they are also going to start losing uh, viewership due to this, you know, to, due to um, instances like this. Yeah, you, know, you bring up a really great point. And working in-house at the Raiders and, and being around football, and so many other people have asked me this question. And my answer, is, my answer is this. For the women who are working within the NFL or any other industry where we now as females have broken into, right, it started as a guy's game. It started where there were no females that worked in the office. And now, with the introduction of that, there are a lot of females that work in the NFL, and I think it's fantastic. There's so many of us that have such a passion for it, and it should be okay. But here's the deal. You know, it's, it's human nature in some aspects for, you know, guys and girls to, almost like in junior high where there's little flirty like here, here and there at the office, like, oh, hey, Nice dress, Nicole. Great legs, blah, blah, blah. And, and those things, to be honest, I would brush them off and be like, oh, thanks. And, and I'd go about my work, right? I didn't feel like anybody was harassing me in any way because at the end of the day, I was there to get work done and everybody knew it. So, you know, I, I, I encourage females who are working in this environment, not only do you have to hold yourself with respect, you almost have to hold yourself with a much higher respect than you ever, ever thought you could or did. You need to walk into this male-dominant place and show that you're there to do work. And if you're coming into work and, and you're, you're instigating it, then shame on you. If you are not, then you stop it where it lies. Someone makes a comment that makes you feel uncomfortable, whether you're going to lose your job or not, you say something. You absolutely say something, because I'll tell you what, when I was working for the Raiders, there was never an opportunity. And I'm not an ugly girl. Let's put it this way. It's not that it was because nobody wanted to say holler. It was because I walked in there, face straight, ready to do work, and no funny business. Whether I wore something cute or not, I was in my Raiderette uniform or doing whatever, everyone knew Nicole was there to do work and don't F around. So females, if you are in the NFL, you're around the NFL, you're around these people, you have got to hold yourself with so much confidence. Be proud that you are in that type of position, knowing that 50 years ago it wasn't even possible really for females to be, you know, in the NFL in the way that we are. And I think a lot of the times now it's got to start with women being very, we can't play the victim. F that is what I say. Now, if you have been harmed in any way into a point where you have felt scared, threatened, whatever, that's a whole nother level, and you absolutely have to say something. It is not worth a job ever to just 
hold on to something that makes you feel so uncomfortable, you've got to say something. So, so that's one part of it, right, where, where women in general, no matter what industry you're in, and especially in the NFL, you walk in with confidence, and you'll be in a lot better position than if you, you kind of allow this to happen, right? Now, for the NFL in general, there needs to be someone in-house that takes an absolute stance that says we are now going, we are going back to the, you know, the blackboard, whatever. We are getting together and we are going to put together a brand new, tougher policy system around sexual harassment, what's allowed, what's not. It's almost a matter of if no one was slapping these guys on the hand before, then they're going to get away with it. Not, you know, and, and then they think it's accepted behavior and it's okay. And, and to be honest, there was probably, you know, so much fun, like, banter back and forth between males and females, I could say, at the Raiders, that it was like no one was, no one was feeling like it was, it was harmful. We were ta- it was like locker room talk, and we were just all part of it, including some of us girls, you know. But I just think that the NFL has to, has to take a stance and make the policies very clear. And then at that point, there's, there's a no-nonsense, you know, from the, from the network to each team to everything else. And that's how you fix it. But it's got to start somewhere. It's probably going to take time, but, um, yeah, I would say that those are the two main avenues for getting this, this funny business to stop and for helping people feel more comfortable when they come into work. I have a, uh, a very uh, question that I don't think that has mm-hmm. been asked, I think, for all of these um, sexual assault uh, cases. Mm-hmm. Where, do, where do guys draw the line? Because I think there is a bit, there, there is some ambiguity. Now, some of them, some of them were, some of them to me were, were you know, clear cut cases. I mean, if you send a picture of, of your junk to a, to a woman, you're you're you're, you're asking for it. Okay, that's that's, yeah. that's a clear cut exactly. case. But then there are also have been cases where, you know, if you're attracted to a young lady and you ask her out, and that may be uh, misconstrued or, or construed, I'm not going to say misconstrued, that can be construed as, um, you know, someone could feel like they're being harassed because, hey, this is in the workplace, this is not appropriate. But some, some people really don't look at it from that perspective. What do guys do uh, to, to, number one, not offend a woman and also to protect themselves in an instance like that so we can avoid this happening in the first place? I love this question. I absolutely love this question because I, I feel I do feel for men. It, you guys shouldn't have to be walking on eggshells now because you're working with women. You know, it, it just uh, I, I definitely feel for you on that side. And so this is a fair question. I would say that it goes back to good old fashioned manners, and back in the day when you think that you know our dads and grandfathers were courting a female, um, and they did so politely, and they would ask. And, and we kind of have to leave it at that. As, as crazy as that sounds, if, if you ask a female out and say, for example, I mean, look, with the Raiders, they're very, there are a lot of actual married couples between, you know, cheerleaders and football players or, you know, coaches and in-house, whatever. The Raiders are very much a family, and I love the fact that that's the environment, right? So, um, but there's always a rule. If a guy asks you out, you have to go to the front office and ask whether or not he's married. He won't tell you the truth is, is the, the quote-unquote policy, right? So you go to the front office and say, oh, yeah, God, who's, whatever, you throw out a name, Derek Carr. Is he married? Yes, he is. Okay, well then, 
off limits. Sorry, D, I'm not going out with you kind of thing, right? And so um, that's where I think if a man wants to pursue a female, one, do it with, with good intentions and be, just be straight up honest. Hey, I'd like to take you out. Please let me know if that's okay. And if she says no, then you got to drop it. At that point, then it's like, because then it, it, anything else would or could be misconstrued as harassment. Or I know flirting is so unfortunate because flirting is so fun. It's such an early part of, like, the courting process. And it's like, man, now people are taking that out of the equation because people are so worried about sexual harassment. But I think if you do so politely and you're not doing it by sending pictures of your junk, you do it as a gentleman, I think that that should still just be okay. It's human nature. We're going to be attracted to people that are around us sometimes. And right. it should be okay that if, if you're single, you should be able to pursue someone. Right? Cool. I love the answer. Love that. Yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. Completely agree. Um, yeah. And, you know, speaking from a PR perspective, I got, I got another question for you. Um, mm-hmm. The current Heisman Trophy winner, so he has kind of done some borderline, well, I'm not even going to say borderline things, but he has done some, some disrespectful things on the field. Baker Mayfield is who mm. I'm speaking Baker of. Mayfield, um, right? And I'm not sure if you've watched. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. so you're all familiar mm. with him. Uh, so have yes. you seen some of the things that he's done? And, and, and number one, number one, and number two, how can he fix his image? Because now he's going into the NFL possibly, and there may be an image issue that could drop his draft stock. And this is around a time sure. where people kind of want to put on their, put their best foot forward. How do you think he's going to handle this process as far as, you know, putting his best foot forward in front of NFL scouts and GMs? Yeah, so it's, it's all about humbling oneself and knowing that even in college, if you just so happen to be a god and you're, you win the Heisman Trophy, I mean, you think about – um, you know, the egos that, that are being fed in college and then going into your career when a man or even a female lets their ego do the, do the thinking and the actions and the, and the work on the outside, you're, you're looking at getting into a, a buttload of trouble, right? There's just no way around it. But I do believe that people mature, and I believe that when they, when they can really center themselves and look at what's important, that's what he's going to have to do, right? It's, it's a, a matter of I want to be drafted, I want to get into this league, and I do understand that, you know, my behavior is important as I'm, I'm setting an example for others. If he can come to the table and, and actually believe that, exude that, and, and put that out there, then, then he's fine, right? People are, by human nature, people are forgiving, and that's one thing that I do say about PR. You know, you can utilize the the media to help tell a story if it's true and if this guy can put his ego aside and uh you know do the right thing by his own personal image and actions then sure then people will forgive and and the PR will be more positive great answer great answer I mean for those the listeners out there who are not familiar uh what Baker Mayfield um some of the things that he's done like before the Kansas game uh, some of the captains out there refused to shake his hand. 
Um, and he handled it class, you know, like we handled it very classy at the, at the time. He clapped his hands. He just said, you know, let's go ahead and let's go play. But after he scored a touchdown, he kind of grabbed his nether regions and he directed that oh. toward the sideline. Um, he spiked the flag on the, on the ground at Ohio State, which is completely disrespectful. He did that on the middle of their field. So it's kind of like some people are likening him to Johnny Manziel without the drug use. Oh. And so some people feel like it's overblown. Some people give him a pass. Other people sit back and say, "Hey, listen, this kid, this is this has been a an, a, an ongoing issue for him." Uh, so for those who aren't familiar with him, I just wanted to break that down really quick. Also, wanted to speak on uh, and sorry to ask so many questions on this one. Um, with the way that the I want to ask you a Raiders question this time. Sure. So the Raiders now initially being a Super Bowl favorite. So right mm-hmm. now they, they their, their season isn't going as well as it could have been. What are some mm-hmm. of the things that you saw that you know could have been better from the Raiders' perspective this year? Because I know it's got to be heartbreaking the last year in Oakland. Everyone had those dreams of Oakland going to the promised land. What went wrong yeah. this year in your eyes? Yeah. So I would I would really have to say that that one of those. Um, had to be uh, Derek Carr and his injury. And look, he's one of my favorites. I think he is an, an absolute killer leader. Um, but I think what what people don't get is that when when your head coach and your quarterback are are working at their highest capacity, as silly as that sounds, and is so much of it goes back to that in a team. And you look at all of the teams that are doing really, really, really well. You look at their quarterback and you look at their coach. They've got chemistry. It's like mom and dad, right? They've got a killer chemistry. They're working at their highest capacity, and that family is just killing it. And not that Derek isn't, right? But I think that it was just last year the injury just kept him from the playoffs in general, right? He needed to use the offseason to heal. Um, and, and so he's done that. But then in the rest of the, the year, it's almost like the fracture never left, and it's almost been in the back of his mind, right? So I believe we started at 2-0, and which was great, right? And then we had uh, a few losses. And I just think that from there, there's just, there's just chemistry things that need to be worked out. And I think that hopefully Carr will return next season just – beasting it like he did the last season, right? Just absolutely, like, nailing everything and excited and and not worried about protecting himself. I just think that that really trickled down um, into a lot of what we saw this this past season. I think the other thing is just um, making sure that our coaching staff is on board. I mean, it's – I just – I hate when we lose a coach in the middle of a season – I don't think it does anything good for the team's morale. Um, and so I think for, for us, you know, there's just a lot of little kinks that we can still work out, but I don't, I don't think all is lost, right? I think that if this season wasn't it, then we go back next season trying to fight even stronger and, and pull it together. Yeah, and that one game out of first place, I mean, so they're, they're still in the hunt for it. But, man, you know, we, a lot of people really expected maybe like a 12-4 and four year from these guys. But, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. 
Yeah. Doctor. All right. Hey, Holly, let's uh, chime in here. Uh, Holly, WFA All-Star. She's uh, also works in human resources, Nicole, so she's going to be familiar with some of your situations. Great. Hey, hey, Nicole, how's it going? It's going well. Hi, Holly. How are you? Good, good. Um, So I'm excited to have you on the show today. I think you have some great insights. Um, But I wanted to start off by asking, how did you get into PR? What's What's your background story there? Oh, that's a great question, one that I I love to to tell people. So um, I like to tell people that I started in PR at the age of 12 unofficially um, just because I I learned that I had a knack for writing and um, understanding public perception. I mean, I wanted to run for student council uh, in junior high very early on, and what I started to recognize was that there were different groups of people at my school and that in order to influence them in a good way, I had to be one, genuine, two, someone they looked up to, and three, someone that could talk to them in a way that was relatable to them, right? I, and, and so I don't know where the heck that came from, but I thank God for it every day because that got me into, you know, just um, politics-ish in, in high school and uh, I eventually worked my way up to student body president. And um, what, I, what I remember saying my senior year was, when I graduate high school, I want to find a major that incorporates writing, creativity, strategy, and public perception. And if I find that, then I think that that's just my sweet spot. I kind of naturally do that well. And so I got into college um, thinking that I wanted to get into either marketing or journalism, And lo and behold, my journalism teacher was like, right, have you ever heard of PR? It's basically marketing, but you're working within journalism. You're working with the media. You're helping them craft stories. You're helping corporations, you know, craft their story and put together, you know, their public perception. And I fell in love with it and declared it as my major my senior year of college, and I've been doing it ever since. So that's almost almost 20 years um, since I declared my major, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll say about 17 plus uh, in the industry. Awesome. Officially. Um, <laughs> since you've been um, in the PR game for a minute, um, how do you think social media has changed athletics um, or in, in, if you want to be specific, football? Sure. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's created a new sense of transparency and almost like an, an unforgiving um, medium for having to hear fans very loudly uh, outside of just what they would say when they would read a newspaper article and, and they would want to, you know, back when blogs started and you could comment on a story on a newspaper site, it's like, now we hear what the fans say on Twitter literally 24 hours a day. You can, they can converse with you 24 hours a day. And guess what? Because of YouTube and video, you are constantly under a, a, like a microscope, you know, in terms of what you're doing, who you're doing it with. You can't escape it the way you used to back in the day. So I, I think it's a good thing, to be honest, I think it gives fans and people um, a way of connecting in a way that didn't exist before. But at the same time, 
being someone in the NFL, you have to be thinking about your image every single day because you can't escape what people can already see. The transparency is there whether you like it or not. Whatever you're putting out there is what people see as you. So, you know, it's really, really important um, that you're constantly thinking about what you're saying. Being authentic, yes, but not thinking that you, you know, that you walk on water because guess what? People can see what you say on Twitter and, and believe me, they'll tell you when you don't walk on water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it's evident just in the time that I've been an athlete that it's, it's completely different. And mm. I think that, uh, like you said, there's, there's pros and cons to it. Um, so if you had uh, a young athlete, somebody, you know, 17, 18 years old, mm-hmm. um, that is trying to, you know, get recruited for a major college, um, or kind of in that uh, arena, uh, what would you suggest to them? Uh, how would they market themselves? Uh, what's the best way for them to go about that? I love it. That's a great question. Um, I would tell them that they need to honestly think about and that's my dog. She has an opinion about it too. Um, <laughs> I would tell them that they need to think about what what kind of brand they want to put out there, right? Think about Nike. Think about Adidas. Think about the brands that attach their names to some of these athletes and when they take it away. What do they take it away for, right? They take it away when, when they see that an athlete is either being rude or not, not exuding excellence in their everyday behavior and on the field, right? So it's an honor if Nike comes to you and says they want you to wear their brand and be a spokesperson. So if you're a young guy and you're thinking, I want to play in the NFL, what's the big picture look like? You want to play in the NFL and what, be in commercials? Do you want to be in movies too? Like athletes do have that ability. So you have to make sure that your brand aligns with what these other brands would be looking at, right? That means no drunk pictures on your Twitter. Please refrain from that and be a mature adult. Think like an adult, not like a college kid, right? That's also, you know, you want to you wanna take a, a toke of a blunt and put that up because you think that looks cool on social media? It doesn't. You're an athlete that might eventually play in the NFL. Think that way. Put yourself in that sort of that view. You've just got to be mature about it, right, and, and make sure that you're being smart about your brand and know that other brands will want to align with you if your brand is positive. Awesome. Um, that's some great stuff there. Um, if you have a client that has a situation uh, that's traumatic or, or some sort of public situation, what's the first thing you do with them? What's the first thing that I, you go to when it happens? Like a lawyer, I try to get to the truth first. I pull them aside and I'm like, bro, what happened? <laughs> what happened? I need you to be honest with me because I only – We'll work with the truth, and then we can take it from there, right? And if the truth of the matter is he effed up and it was really bad and it was a stupid decision and he knows he shouldn't do it again, then that's what we go to the public and say because that's the truth. And because people sometimes, again, you feed an athlete's ego too much, he thinks he walks on water. And it's really unfortunate when the universe slaps him down when something is, you know, made public. But – 
I do believe that people can be reformed. I believe that they can grow as long as they can put their ego aside and know that they need to make change. And so I think that being able to take that and utilize that and share that with the public, again, people will be very forgiving as long as you are coming from a place of authenticity and a place of feeling really sorry for for what you did. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's something that uh, A-Rod did actually pretty well when uh, he got Mm. a message for uh, PEDs, and uh, Mm -hmm. he seems to be doing quite well for himself right now. And uh, he was not my favorite player in the world, but and I was really irritated with him you know, having done that, but I, I will give yeah. him credit because he got a, he got ahead of it when it came out. He he fell on the sword, and the public seemed to forgive him for it. And yeah. uh, so I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and how did you become an Oakland Raiders fan? An Oakland Raiders fan? Mm-hmm. Um, is that was that the question? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, when when I was younger, uh, growing up in the Bay Area my um, family was divided. Living in the Bay Area, you were a Niner <laughs> fan or you were a Raider fan. And uh, I remember going to my grandparents' house, and football was always on during the holidays. And so you have my papa, who, like, was king of the Raider, the Raider side, and then you had my nana, who's his wife. She was queen of, the, the, of Ninerville. That's where my mom <laughs> fell, and then all of my siblings and you know, some of my cousins, but then it was like the dark side. I'm like, I'm going on Papa's side. I'm watching the Raiders and I'm watching these games and I'm seeing these beautiful cheerleaders. And, you know, it was just, to me, there was something really powerful about the Raider energy. And you could feel it when you watch it on TV. You could see just like the fans and there was just something in my heart that connected. And I was probably about seven or eight years old and I was like, I'm going, I'm going on that side with Papa. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've been, I've been a huge fan ever since. And um, it, it was, it's been an honor to, you know, work with them and be part of their family. I mean, on Saturday, the annual Raiderette holiday party, a shout out to all of my sisters. We're all so very close from the LA Raiderettes to the Oakland Raiderettes. Every year for the holidays, we always have, like, a massive, 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 it's like a reunion every year. Um, I can't wait to see them. It's just a, a great sisterhood, and the Raiders have been a great family to me. So I'm glad I went to the dark side at the age of seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I'm actually a Niners fan, so I'll, I'll forgive you for that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, you and my grandma will get along just fine. <laughs> wow. When I was a kid, uh, awesome. uh, Jerry Rice was my hero, so I, it was hard for me to go back after that. But, no, I, I always kind of respected the Raiders because I'm not from the Bay. My grandmother just used to live down there, so I didn't really have that rival thing going on as much. For me, it's more uh-huh. about, you know, I can't stand the Seahawks as much. Uh, right. But I <laughs> I actually like the Raiders, kind of, you know, and and I was rooting for them this year, and that you, you're right, there, there's a chemistry issue on their offense that needs to be resolved. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I was rooting for them, you know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but, no, I'm, I'm really glad you came on. You're very articulate, Thanks. and you know you seem to have a huge knowledge base. It's awesome. I like picking your brain. Um, Thanks. And my final one <laughs> 
Oh, gosh, so many for so many reasons. Um, you know, let's because we're talking football, let's talk about how Al Davis is a huge role model for me. Um, he's one of, of many, I think, but working in the Raider organization, knowing what a true boss with just, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I'll tell you, walking into Mr. Davis's office, and that's what we call him is Mr. Davis. It's never, hey, Al, that was not a thing. Um, you walk in and you say, hi, Mr. Davis. Uh, walking into his office um, for the first time and, and feeling his actual presence, I have never in my lifetime ever felt a stronger presence than his in my life. You feel the energy of that man. And it's not because he's trying to, and it's not because he's trying to intimidate. He just walks around with power and confidence. And in, like, God rest his soul, you, you walk into the Raider organization and people are wearing black for a reason. You, you walk in feeling the Raider energy. And for someone, one person, to create an entire organization that exudes that much confidence and will to win and power and like no BS crap. And you wear your brand every day. You walk in here and he's like, you walk in here and you better, you better be wearing something from the Raiders. I want to see black. I don't want to see red. I better not ever see red on your back. Like, and, and then he dropped the F-bomb like no one else. And I would just look at him like, this man is incredible. And, and, and you still feel it to this day. I was just at, the, at headquarters in Alameda a couple weeks ago, and he's never left. He's still there. He's in the walls. And I wore black as I should. And, you know, Mr. Mr. Otto, Jim Otto was there, and he's in his Raider gear. And I'm like, it's just like, it doesn't change when you, when you're a Raider, you're, you're in it. And for someone that powerful to, to create a brand that is just as strong and powerful as it is and lives on past his like existence, that like I want, I walk into NRPR and I'm sure not everybody's looking at me like, wow, Nicole is like this massive powerhouse, <laughs> but like they should feel my energy. And, and so that as a, as a boss and a role model of like, look, we have a commitment to publicity and marketing excellence, period. Thank you, Mr. Davis. When I do anything, we have NRPR T-shirts, hats. Like, anyone on my team can attest for that. I created a brand with NRPR. You walk in, you wear your jacket, you have a T-shirt, you have all of these things, just like with the Raiders. And my team wears it with pride. It helps us really put together, you know, that energy so that we have the same will to win. So I, I channel him a lot when I'm at work. There's a lot of no, I won't say the word, no BS. When I come in, I'm like, let's get it done. I don't want an excuse. This is how it's done. This is the NRPR way, just like there was a Raider way. And, and my mentality at work was definitely shaped from having him as, as a boss and a leader um, to, to look up to. That's awesome. I think yeah. I think you're <laughs> right. He definitely was somebody uh, that had that presence. And I always, you know, tried to – strive to be around people like that or have you know have my own mm. presence and i think you know if you're if you're talking about on the field it's that x factor that chemistry and yeah. by having that presence and, and and having people buy into it then it creates yep. an unstoppable force 
on on your on your squad, your team, your business, whatever whatever the arena is. But no, that's awesome, and I like your impersonation. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can, I can drop a couple of swear words and do a, an even better one, but we're going to hold that and keep <laughs> That'll be for Saturday yeah. Night Live, you know. Yeah, there you go, exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? Commitment to excellence. I guess that's got to be your motto at work, too, right? Oh, it, it absolutely is. It's a, a commitment to excellence now in everything that I do. I mean, seeing how the Raiders um, have formed such an amazing organization based on that alone and just, again, a strong will to win and a fire. It's like the Autumn Winds theme song. It's like, you know, what? It, like, it brings me to tears because even in every single word, it's like the Autumn Wind is a freaking Raider. You know what I mean? And it's like, uh-oh. Yeah. And then they, they, <laughs> you, you hear those words, and then all of a sudden you hear the, the music, and you're just like, ah, like, I feel like a Titan when I hear it. Like I can just go out and charge on anything. So imagine being on the field as a cheerleader and just like, I, I've never danced so hard in my life than the days that I would dance on that field. And it's part wow. of, because of what Mr. Davis had created. It's that energy. You can't, it, it's, it's inescapable if it's in your soul. <laughs> He's such a maverick, you know, and he was a, a yeah. total game changer for the merge and everything else. So historically, I mean, he's like, the you know, part of the NFL uh, fabric, no matter what, yeah. even even now that he's not no here. No matter what. Hey, um, Nicole, moving to, mm-hmm. moving to Vegas, a smart move or not a smart move? Smart move. I mean, the fan base is going to fo- follow you no matter what. You know what I mean? They followed you to L.A., they followed yeah. you back to Oakland. They're going to follow you no matter yeah. what, right? Yeah, the, 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 Raider, the, the Raider diehards absolutely will. And I think what the Raiders have to do is do a better job of explaining the business, you know, reasons why we're moving. And so I I can start with that, and hopefully it trickles down to more people, right? I think um, one of them is, you know, we are the last uh, NFL team to share a stadium with a baseball team, right? We share it with the Oakland A's. So, therefore, you think about um, the full branding, right, you think about creating a full home. You think about the fact that, you know, right at the beginning of the season, you still see a baseball diamond. You also, what most people don't know is a lot of those concessions, those contracts are owned by the A's. So even at Raider games, you think about how the NFL teams make money. They make money based on concessions, ticket sales. If I am the Detroit Lions and I play the Oakland Raiders in Oakland, I still make part of that money. But if I'm making less because the pool is less because they don't fully own that stadium, the A's own part of that. As a business decision, in order to fully own the rights to your stadium, the concessions, the contracts, the sponsorships, you have to have your own stadium. We don't have that. So, therefore, we are handicapped. It just purely because of that in terms of how much money we can bring in. And then, again, that, take, that goes back to, okay, then how much money is possible for us to make? And if it's not possible for us to make top dollar, how the heck are we going to do all of the marketing that we need? How are we going to attract the players that we need? How are we going to create facilities that are attractive to these new players and give them, like, all of these things that people don't think about when it comes to football, 
it all comes down to the fact that these teams do have to make money in order for you as a fan to experience them in a different way and to create winning teams. These players are expensive. These contracts are not free. You know, no one's volunteering here. They are not nonprofits. <laughs> so I think that this move to Vegas, um, I pray on everything holy that, that Vegas doesn't take a hold of our players in the way that um, – yeah, That's the one drawback I think that everybody's fearing. Right. So that's the one that's, drawback, that's yeah. One, yeah, but the stadium is going to be beautiful. I'm looking forward to visiting the new headquarters um, actually in January, meeting with them there and um, helping them create some really great relationships in Vegas for business development purposes. Um, no matter where the Raiders go, they're my family, and I will always help them uh, in any way that I can. And I know that the, the reasons that they're moving are purely business-driven, um, and I support them in that 100%. Nicole, you've been uh, awesome. Uh, and I know you have a you know, short schedule and all that. Appreciate you making the time. And then, Nicole, sure. you're on Facebook Live, on YouTube, um, so uh, <laughs> let everybody know where they can catch you on there uh, with a lot of great insight. Yeah, so the, the easiest place to start is nrprgroup.com, which is our website. It's our hub. From there, you'll find all of the buttons where you can find us on social media. We make it really easy for you to find the company, NRPR Group, across all social platforms. If you want to connect with me specifically, um, I make that easy too, at Nicole RPR. Um, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, um, that's where anybody can find me and everything NRPR is doing and with our awesome clients and watching football and all that stuff. Awesome. Nicole, you know, you've been awesome all the time. We bring you in and uh, kind of give us some clarity on terms of how things are the workings inside the teams and the PR. So always insightful you are and uh, happy holidays to you and the crew. Uh, to the family out there, and um, uh, Happy New Year as well, if we don't get to chat. But uh, probably in the beginning of the year, we'll we'll get you back here before the OTAs and talk about some of the other stuff that's happening in the NFL. But you're always very insightful. We really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. It's always nice being on the show and chatting with you and just, yeah, being a part of this. So I, I love it, and I thank you for having me. And always, always happy to be a guest whenever you need Thank you, Nicole, for that. And uh, say hi to Katie for me, uh, for all the work she's oh, she done to get the house together and stuff. So um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, continued success. Thank you, and same to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys, there you are, Nicole Rodriguez, uh, NRPR uh, group, and she does an amazing job. She's won two awards last year and this year for just – excellence um and she's a hard-working uh lady and she's done a tremendous job with her group and getting it done so if you need anything port related with pr or anything like that you can always chime in on that and uh, on facebook and, and npr group as well uh and you can the links are on our uh twitter feed from our profile uh for the show so you can always go there and check it out and i'll link up with her on, on twitter and all these social sites so Guys, I mean, just a lot of stuff that you got to walk through, fine-tune, and find uh, when you're in PR. You know, uh, Troy, you're in management. I'm in management, uh, you know, previous management. Holly, you're in, you know, human resource. 
we can pretty much relate to what she was saying with a lot and a lot of levels because you know you're dealing with employees you're dealing with certain things within the company policy you got to be you know you got to partner up for people with certain situations so there's, there's just a lot of intangibles that come to play and it's always nice to have someone like her that can uh, you know put a perspective in there uh, definitely. Yeah, y'all, I mean, y'all oh, you go ahead, Troy. Oh no, I was going to say, um, it's, it's always great to have that perspective to help you navigate through through these, you know, through tough times like that. And um, you know, especially nowadays, um, where you know, and but you know, like it or not, we are in a litigious society, and so you know, uh, people like Nicole can help people uh, navigate and kind of just stay on the right path or get on the right path, uh, whichever one is needed. So that's definitely just a great thing to have. And, and she provides a great service, and I, I love the fact that she's so knowledgeable and passionate about it. Um, so definitely hats off to her for, and for all the awards that she got, she garnered. She completely deserves every bit of it. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, exactly what you were kind of saying, Troy, but uh, the HR person in me uh, really enjoyed um, her insights, and I I completely agree with her. Um, You know, I I think when it comes to certain policies, you have to be as black and white as you can, and by doing so, by being as black and white as you can with the policy, it makes it easier it makes it so much easier because if you make your policy really like it's gray, it's like a gray policy and you can interpret it different ways, then it makes it much harder to make decisions when something um, is coming against that policy. So when the situation happens uh, at a workplace like sexual harassment, if you have a policy in place that is black and white, and it makes it your job a lot easier as an HR PR person to, to deal with that situation. So I, I totally am um, in favor of how she views that, and she's uh, definitely articulate and, and deserves all those rewards that she's getting. Yeah, you can catch her on Facebook. Uh, like I said, Facebook Live, she does a lot of stuff there, and you can actually catch her weekly talking to a big-name PR people that give you a lot of insights as well. So uh, check her out at uh, NRPR group as well as uh, Nicole NRPR on either on social media or on Twitter or uh, also on Facebook. So um, Troy, uh, I believe the Redskins have been eliminated from the playoffs. If, if, if I'm correct. So have the Browns yeah, and the Giants. Mercifully. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it. Um, so yeah. Troy, let me just, you know, since you're eliminated from the playoffs, what do you think of my Rams against Philly? What was your thoughts? Um, you know what, man, that was one of those, that looked like a Hagler Hearns fight. You know, it, it was just toe to toe. I mean, both of them were just taking huge shots against each other. It was just, it was a great matchup. Um, I like the way that the Rams, Offensively, moved the ball, but they they also scored on special teams with a block punt. That that was enormous. Um, and, and I think going forward, most people would agree, um, you know, that there were you know that Philadelphia seemed to be the the class of the NFC. But you know, now with uh, the Eagles and Carson Wentz going down, I just think 
the Rams should have a whole lot of confidence going forward that they can just they can go toe to toe against the best that the league has to offer. I love the way that they played out there. Um, and so, the, you know, the, that, that, that L.A. Coliseum should be buzzing for the rest of this year, and they should have at least one playoff game, if not uh, two, depending upon how things shake out with the Eagles and the Vikings. And also the Panthers, they're also in there as well. But I just think, man, the Rams, they have a, they have a great squad. I mean, it, you know, the way that they play, they run football. Uh, McVay, which I, I just found out recently that McVay is actually um, – uh, doing how they do in college where golf kind of looks to the sideline and McVay tells him, you know, where to go with the ball. And you, you start to see the progression that golf is doing that a whole lot less and less, which means he's progressing as far as his understanding of the offense. When you see teams ascend like that and, and, and playing the way that they play, I mean, the sky's the limit for these guys. We'll see what they do defensively. Um, and you can't really hold it against them to have the Eagles score that many points. They pretty much do that to everyone. Um, but I think going forward, they should have a whole lot of confidence and momentum uh, going toward the rest of the season, going into the playoffs. And they have a huge game coming up this week with Seattle. This could be determining, you know, who wins the division because I mean, both of those teams are, are just they're, they're chugging away right now, and they have they have a tough road ahead. But I just think the Rams right now have the edge going forward. But that this game this week will go a long way towards sorting all of that out. Troy, the uh, uh, Philadelphia situation here, Knowles, I mean, probably best fit to lead them again or, you know, take control. But uh, do you think Philly fans are going to be that confident? No. Uh, Philly fans right now are in a a complete panic because they know that, um, you know, Carson Wentz was, you know, the odds-on favorite to be the NFL MVP. This kid was completely unstoppable for pretty much most of this year. And now that he's down, are you going to see Nick Foles from 2014 uh, you know, uh, or are you going to see Nick Foles from 2015 and 16? And so that's, that's what really the, the Philadelphia Eagles fans are worried about. You know, uh, the Eagles organization, they're putting on a good face. They're sitting back saying, hey, listen, we lost players before, and, you know, we kept going along. But the reason why they kept going along is because you still had Carson Wentz, the quarterback. He's no longer there. He's going to be gone for 9 to 12 months. And so he might not even be ready for the beginning of the season next year. This is a huge blow for the Eagles. And, and honestly, going forward, I don't have much confidence that they'll be the same team, especially how the NFC East is right now the juggernaut. Um, with AFC has kind of been dominating over the past few years, but right now the NFC East is so top heavy with the with the teams that are winning and headed toward the playoffs. It's really hard for me to sit back and look and say the Eagles are still the favorite. The Eagles right now they are reeling, and if they if they can get something out of Nick Foles the next three games to get his confidence up, maybe you can sit back and say they have a chance at the playoffs. But right now things don't look very good for them. Holly, Seattle, is Seattle in trouble internally? I mean, have they completely exploded at this point? There are a lot of players just going off the deep end. They're not playing well. Jacksonville literally just hit them on the chin. And so, you know, against the Rams this week, do you think they got to refocus? Yes. um, I think the Seahawks are in trouble. But I've said that pretty much most of the year in that – the Seahawks will go as far as Russell Wilson will take them. Um, and because they have no running game, it puts a lot of pressure on, on 
Russell Wilson. And on top of it during this game, Russell didn't have a good game. And so if he doesn't have a good game and he's basically your entire offense, you're not going to go very far. Now, that being said, Russell Wilson, the thing that he always does well is he always is able to put on some sort of comeback at the end. And and I've learned by watching this team, when Russell's in trouble, he's going to scramble and he's going to find Doug Baldwin. And the Jaguars, in the early part of this game, they sniffed that out and they covered it really well. Um, and uh, and then in the second half, they used Fournette to kind of pound the ball uh, and, uh, and kind of stave off the, the Russell Wilson run at the end. But what I saw at the end of that game is very concerning if you're a Seahawks fan. And it's football's an emotional game, right? It really is. And it, and, and it very easily, because it's so physical and it's so emotional and it's so intense, it, it happens where people lose their cool, they get in shoving matches, you know, they, they, they trade, uh, you know, they, they trash talk back and forth. That, that happens within the game. Um, but the thing that bothered me the most about the Seahawks meltdown at the end of the game was it wasn't a play that was in – it wasn't something that happened within the confines of the game. There wasn't some sort of play that, you know, um, a receiver and a quarterback got tied up and they were fighting and then it just got out of hand or somebody was being blocked and they just got pissed off. Like, it wasn't a play. This is the Jaguars – taking a knee because the game's over. And then you have Bennett, who's trying to take out the center because he's just pissed off and frustrated, and then all hell breaks loose. And then you have um, everybody, you know, fighting, and then you have another player trying to get at the fans' stand. And granted, the fans were completely in the wrong, and I think they should be banned for life from the stadium. But at the same time, you can't have a player going after the fan either. So in my opinion – this is not a surprise to me because Pete Carroll is really good at the beginning of his runs with teams. He did it at USC. He's good at putting culture in at the beginning because what he does is he allows the players to be themselves. And when players um, are allowed to be themselves in a positive environment, they tend to thrive initially. But I've seen it happen at USC and with the Seahawks now. They get a huge amount of initial success, and then eventually it crosses the line where those players are out of control and Pete does not do a very good job of keeping them in check. You had Sherman go off the handle half of the year last year and, you know, getting some scruffles earlier this year, and now you have half their secondary hurt, and then Wagner and C.J. Wright got hurt this game, and now your defensive line is completely melting down and is a mental case, and now you're going in against the Rams, who honestly I think are the better team in the division, and this is the, the, the game that's going to decide not only if you win the division, but if you get in the playoffs, honestly, because I think if the Seahawks lose this game, they're, they're going to be out of the division, and I don't think they're going to have enough to get their wild card spot. So this is their playoff spot. This, this is the game to get in the playoffs for the Seahawks. And to go into the big game with so much internal turmoil is not a good sign, and I really put it on Pete Carroll, honestly. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it, I think they just let things just get – they're getting out of control, basically, and there's no 
keeping them in check, in, a, in other words. Um, Holly, since I got you, RNL, um, what did you think last week of all the, you know, the, the stuff with Ryan Chase here, uh, with the knee, the tackling not being form tackling anymore, people just jumping at hips, you know what I mean, going up to, for head-to-head hits, like uh, against Antonio Brown and stuff like that. So, you know, from a player's perspective, uh, I mean, this is kind of like, crazy attitude now by some of these players. They're not even trying to tackle. They're just trying to go shoulder first or head first on any player. And even the knees, when you got the running backs, they're not even trying to tackle, you know, with, with the shoulder uh, situation. They're really trying to just take somebody's knees out. Well, I think it's a unintended consequence of the new rules. Uh, you know, for a long time, uh, there there weren't a whole lot of rules against tackling. And then uh, the NFL, and rightly so, wanted to change the rules to try to protect their players. But what they did, and in my opinion, is they failed to take into consideration the defensive side. They're always protecting the offensive players. And so what's happening is, okay, so now I'm a defensive player. I can't hit this guy in the head. Okay, great. Now I have to go lower. Okay, so now now there's this part, like, on their, their body, I can't go too low. And then what happens is I think it's a combination of players getting frustrated because the point of them being on the field is tackling people and you're basically putting both hands behind their backs, you know, in, in their opinion. And now how the hell am I supposed to – get this guy down and this is not a small guy if you're talking about you know a big back like like you guys have in Gurley if I go at him with both hands behind my back I'm pretty sure he's going to run me over you know what I mean so I think what happens is the defensive players are frustrated so they're just like okay well screw this I'm going to do what I have to do to try to get this guy down but then at the same time there is a lack of technique and I think it's a combination of really bad uh, habits that were formed as early as, like, the 80s. I think, like, like, the late 80s, early 90s, players on the defensive side were going after the kill shot more so than the actual form tackle. And so it's a combination of bad habits from that that it trickled down and then frustration from the defensive players of, like, well, hey, like, how the hell am I supposed to take this guy down now? And so they just do what they can. And then the third point I will bring in is it is very tricky. I see this all the time when you have a quarterback uh, or an offensive player who has the ball and they start to slide. It is very hard to stop as a defensive player when you're going full force and you're aiming at a target that is standing straight up and you leave your feet to knock them down, and then they're sliding underneath you, and because they're sliding at a different angle than what you left your feet from, now you're hitting them in the head, and you're not necessarily intending that. It's just because of the angle of you leaving your feet and then them sliding underneath you that the target is at a lower angle. And so that's really difficult. So sometimes I see on TV where the people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe he hit him in the head. And I'm like, no, he didn't really mean to do that one. Like, it was just the angle of him leaving the feed and the other guy sliding. But, yeah, it's a combination of those three things that I think is the problem. 
Troy, are you on the same assessment there? Is it just the technique's bad, or is it just the fact she says it's more offensive-driven rules? It's definitely offensive-driven rules. I mean, and, and not to mention, uh, just like Holly said, I mean, a lot of these things are bang-bang plays. Um, if if you're a defensive player and you're chasing after a guy, and once you reach your your target, you lower your shoulder, but that guy, you know, the guy that you're tackling, lowers his head. I mean, at that point, what do you do? I mean, you know, you can't, you know, it's hard for you to pull up if you're, if you're, you know, you're you're chasing this guy down like that. So it's really hard for, you know. It's, it's, it's a tough job also for the referees to try to, at the same time, protect the players, but then, uh, you know, also enforce the rules on his side as well. So, I mean, it's, it's really a catch-22. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult for both sides. Uh, but in my opinion, I just think that the rules are bent toward the offenses um, as it is. And so, whenever you're 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 looking at it from that standpoint, you know that there is just going to be a lot of it's going to be a lot of frustration. Defensive players, they're just like, listen, what do you want me to do? All right, you, you know the rules are vague. Sometimes they call it, sometimes they don't. Um, so there's no consistency going across the board. So I, I understand the frustration of the defensive players. Me being a former defensive player myself, I, I'm sitting there saying to myself, like, okay. Um, how how do you want me to actually tackle? I mean, because you've seen instances where guys are leading with the shoulder, the hel- the helmet may glance the other guy's helmet, and they get they're getting flagged for it. You, well, you see me leading with the shoulder, so you know there's no intent, right? Well, how co- and then there's the other part of it. If all of these things are reviewable, why not review that? College football does it. If there is a yep. helmet to helmet contact. Um, they sit back and say, oh, you're thrown out of the game, but before we throw you out of the game, let's review it to see if there was intent. And if they decide that there wasn't an intent, then they leave the guy in the game. And that doesn't take away the 15-yard penalty, which I think is, is an atrocity. I just think, okay, if you know that I didn't do it, I, I didn't get this guy in the helmet, then why am I still getting a 15-yard penalty? But you use replay for all, all kind of other things. Why not use it for that if you're talking about player safety? I understand it slows the game down, but if you're sitting back saying the player safety is that important, and then you also want to keep the integrity of the game that important, why not indoctrinate that? That would just be my solution to the issue. I agree. I just, it, it, but you know what? Defensively, it's it's just tough. Like you said, it's tough to be a player. You're already in midair, or you're already like uh, Holly says, you've already, uh, you know, basically aimed your target. There's like no re- no return there, you know, and if the Offensive player does, like she says, makes a move or slides left to right. You're going to get nailed one or the other. Knee's going to hit the head or shoulder's going to hit the head or whatever. It's going to happen. Um, I don't know. It's just crazy to think. A lot of people get, you know, get all frustrated because their player's offensive player is getting jacked up. So it's kind of, you know, a fan reaction to say, man, you know, you're just jacking up my offensive player like Antonio Brown like. But the reality is, you know, just like uh, I can't remember the Pittsburgh players said, hey, you know what? My job is to make that guy not score. My job is to stop that guy from scoring. And if he's wimpy, he shouldn't be playing. And I think that's the attitude pretty much on the defensive players. Yes, it, it definitely is. I mean, even when I'm in practice and we're, like, going through plays and, 
you know, we're going to, they call it going to sun. So, like, the offensive player comes at me, and I basically give them kind of an aggressive hug to stop the play. But we're trying to keep everybody off the ground because we're just going through plays and it's not, like, full force. Even that kind of sucks when I, as a defensive player because as a linebacker, the whole point of me being on the field is to, is to tackle people. Like, that's that's my role, right? So when I go through even that, I feel like, okay, well, what what's the point of me being here? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm basically just dancing with you and giving you hugs. And, and I feel like when you're in a game situation as a defensive player, and especially the way that NFL calls um, the games, it has to be really frustrating because, like like you were saying, the defensive player they're there to stop the offensive player, and and as a as a football player, you can tell when people are just playing hard and things happen, and you can tell when somebody's playing dirty, and I think sometimes when I watch on TV. The fans or and or even broadcasters I, that I think haven't played, they don't necessarily always know the difference. There was a play early in the season. I can't remember who it was, but it was an obvious situation where I was like, okay, he the defensive player did not mean to do that. And then everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he hit him like that. And I was like, wait, if you look at the angle and you stop it and you know, you know geometry at all, and, and physics, like you understand there's a point of no return and there's a point that you cannot like pull up in that amount of time. So it, it's not to say that you can't try to protect your players, but at the same time, you have to understand that the, def- the defensive player is not always trying to be just the bad guy. He's trying to do his job. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Troy, on this Shazir head, uh, injury thing. I think he just led with his helmet at a bad angle, and then that's how he. I think he, basically he he went for the lower hips, and he, and his head just kind of like, I guess tweaked at an angle, and that's why he got a little bit of what you call muscle paralysis for the most part. Yeah, and it was it was it was, uh, it was difficult to watch. I, I'll, I'll concede that, man. I mean, it was watching that um, and watching him on the ground, kind of rather than pain. Was, it was tough to watch. Um, and it's just that, you know, as you said, the angle that he came in at didn't do him any favors with that. So um, that's, that, that's also a, uh, a lesson to any aspiring football players, young football players, and guys that are currently playing, and people that are, uh, uh, you know, playing uh, football, t- tackle football, is that is the reason why they say don't leave with your head. Um and I just believe it was one of those things where, I mean, I've played, you know, when I, even when I've, I've played, I know, you know, that they say, you know, leave with the shoulder. But sometimes you find yourself, you come in at a bad angle, they're coming in at an angle, and the first thing you do is duck your head. It's just a natural reaction sometimes. And, you know, you just have to really fight against having that, that natural reaction of ducking your head. And again, like you see the the results of it. So, I, man, I, I I really feel for the kid because you know he, he's a hell of a football player, and he, he's a good guy also. So, you know, my heart goes out to him and his family, and also the Steelers organization. So, it, it was just really tough to watch that. Holly, what did you think when you saw that 
especially in slow mo. It just it just made it more like queasy when you watch it in slow motion. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't pretty to watch. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, injuries are, are part are a part of football, and anytime something like that happens, it definitely, you know, doesn't feel good to watch, and it, it you feel really bad for, for those that are involved in it. But like Troy was saying, like they teach you not to lead with your head, and but. The hard part is what happens in a game is not cut and dry like it is necessarily when you're going through technique and practice. And because in the game, you're just trying to get the person down by whatever means necessary. And this, I think, honestly, if you're asking my opinion, I think what happens sometimes is that because people are trying to protect the players so much and because we have less contact, especially in the preseason, I think it actually puts people in bad positions. Because when you're on the field and you're in that mode of, like, I have to get this person down by no matter what I have to do, you resort to muscle memory. And if you don't have enough reps at the correct muscle memory, then you're going to resort to your natural instinct, which is to lower your head. And so it's a, it's a catch-22 because you're trying to protect the players by not having as much contact. At the same time, you're not preparing them for that situation by not having as much contact. And so, unfortunately, it's, it's a, it was not a fun play to watch, but um, I, hope, I hope that he's okay. Yeah, we hope so, too, because um, it just looked pretty bad. But uh, hopefully he's able to come back in normal form and I know that takes a while because it's kind of like you know you got to go on crutches and you got to start to learn how to you know maneuver yourself back up again especially with uh, a, a semi-paralysis status because the muscles kind of go a little whacked in the, mem- in the membrane and all that stuff so um, um, uh, Holly since let's go with the snowball game did you think it was fun? I mean yeah I mean any time you're able to play in, in the snow. I mean, I don't really get to do it a lot because we play in the spring, but I've practiced in the snow. Um, it's different. It's obviously colder, um, but it was. it's a really fun game to watch if you're a fan. Um, you know, I think it was definitely a, a run game between the Bills and the Colts because it was, it's harder to throw the ball in that kind of environment. And, and it was kind of the McCoy and Floor show. And uh, I think the McCoy run that was coming through the snow to, to win the game is one of those theatrical moments in football that's just really beautiful to watch. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a great game. Uh, it's an old school smash mouth. You know, we're going to uh, – I think McCoy had like 32 carries and Anthony Gore had like 36. <laughs> That's just pound ball all day long. And I thought it was pretty fun to watch. Troy, when I was watching it, I was like, uh, this is just kind of like CFL football. You know, when the CFL plays their football, sometimes they play it in the winter, like in Winnipeg or up in Canada. And it's like, this is in Buffalo of all places. So it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, strange, but at the same time kind of fun. It looks fun from TV. Oh, man, but I'm going to tell you right now, I played in snow games. It is not fun, man. It, oh, my God. And this is, you know, 
before we had the the toe warmers. I mean, you can throw those in your shoe now, and you won't even feel it. You know, you got you got a good four hours where that thing's gonna warm your feet up. But man, my feet were frozen. And if you listen, I was playing without gloves like a maniac. It was just it was nuts. And and if you hit your hand on a helmet, you felt like you were out for the season. You literally wanted to run to the sideline screaming, and your coach wouldn't allow you to come out of the game because you hit your hand on the helmet. They didn't want to hear any of that. So when I saw that game, I just I felt like, you know, I had I had heart palpitations watching that man. But but I'm gonna tell you, it did look fun from T V. The fans, of course, in Buffalo, they looked like they were having a ball from the parking lot all the way into the stadium. They're throwing the snowballs at the end of the game after after Shady scored. It was just, it was a great atmosphere, man. You gotta love snow games. Looking at it from T V. But playing in it, not fun at all, man. Not fun. <laughs> I thought it was cool, actually. I had a neighbor. He's like, "Man, what is that? What kind of what kind of sport is that?" And I'm like, "That's the NFL." And he's like, "No way." So you rarely you rarely see it. So it's like every, somebody even doubted it was football. They thought it was some sort of new sport or something. Oh, it was funny. Um, let's see here, uh, Miss Holly, uh, your boy Cutler, uh, the kryptonite for Brady. The surprise there, or is it just because Brady doesn't do well against the Dolphins? Um, yes and no. I think the Patriots, he kind of came out pretty flat, uh, and Tom Brady especially. And, um, you know, it might be a combination of the fact that the Patriots, I think they won, like, what, like eight games in a row? And they play the Steelers this week. I don't know if they're looking past the Dolphins or if they just kind of hit, like, a wall for a minute there. But they just didn't, especially Tom Brady, just didn't look like he showed up the first half. And then Cutler, I think, from my understanding, this is the first time he's beaten the Patriots. And so I think once they got an early rhythm, Cutler just ran with it. And, um, you know, I think... The Patriots will be just fine. They'll bounce back for a good game next week. Um, and, and, you know, the Dolphins are so up and down. They're kind of a Justin Hyatt team this year. And, uh, you know, as far as Cutler, he played pretty well. I'll give him that. But I have to tell you guys, I am not a fan of his neck beard. I have this thing where I cannot stand when athletes think it's a great idea to have a neck beard. It just does not look good on anybody. So maybe it maybe it worked for him because he won. Maybe his wife requested it. You never know. Maybe I don't know, but I just like I remember I was sitting there, and I was just like, "What is he doing? Like, it was a horrible look." But apparently, it's working for him. So I guess if you're a Dolphins fan, you want him to keep it. But hey, yeah, it's true. If you're a fan up fan, you were pretty happy yesterday, and if you're a Patriots fan on. On Twitter, everybody was devastated. The Patriots fans, kind of like your Seahawks when they lose, and the fans in Seattle are like surprised that they're losing. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was just yeah, a, a much fun. Falling. Yeah, exactly. Last night on Twitter, <laughs> all the Pats fans were like, "What? He's got to wake up! He's got to wake up!" <laughs> I think he got a spike drink. That's what happened this day. Just <laughs> got nailed yeah, in my well, I mean, they're, they're gonna. The Patriots fans are gonna have to you know, get used to it because Tom Brady, I mean, I know that he, uh, you know, has his cookbook or whatever, but he's not going to be able to play forever. So someday somebody's going to have to take over. 
All right, let's speak about forever here. Uh, uh, Tom Beatty, number two in the Bay Area, somehow surprising here with another win. So, so the, do they keep him? I think so. I think I th- I'm so glad that they finally started him. Uh, you know, uh, last week because I, I think business-wise, you need to see what you have in him. Uh, you need to see if you want to keep him, if you want to franchise him or if you want to cut bait and, and need to draft somebody or pick somebody up the free agency. And I think what we're seeing is that, you know, so far he has the composure to be that guy. And that's something I really like about him is that he's just learning the offense. You know, it, it's tough to, to move in the middle of the season and pick up a new offensive playbook, especially a quarterback, because in order to be quarterback, you have to know each play in and out. You can't just know your your section to it. You have to know the entire play. And he's playing well, and he has a composure that we haven't had at quarterback uh, probably since that first half a year that Kaepernick came in, and we've really needed it. And it's made a huge difference to the offense. Uh, we're actually moving the ball, and it helps the defense out because they're not on the field the entire game. And, you know, the Texans, uh, you know, they, they've been struggling this year, but they still have a really good defensive front. And, and Jimmy was able to step up into that pressure and make plays. So I think, you know, going forward, he's, he's the guy. And that makes me feel really good as a Niners fan because that – Everybody knows that in the NFL, you need that starting quarterback. And now we just have to go out uh, this offseason and start plugging away the, the rest of the holes that we have. But it was a good win. Troy, you weren't here last week. So um, if you're Eli Manning, uh, you're pretty pissed off at uh, the uh, head coach that just got let go when he benched you a week before he got let go, wasn't it? It was just a, What? And you got let go. You got fired. Giro manager out of our. I mean, like, come on, man. Man, that 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 right there was uh, it was a debacle. I mean, I don't understand. I, I mean, I was at a loss. I didn't understand what the point of that was. Um, he clearly, um, and I, I just I was at a loss. I just I, I couldn't understand it. It, it, like the problems that 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 the Giants had had nothing had very little to do with Eli Manning, in my opinion. I mean, when you lose your top four receivers, um, your offensive line was already just a, they were shambles when they were during the beginning of the year. They've never, they haven't had a running game in years. What part of this did benching a quarterback make sense? It just didn't make sense. And then not to mention, it seemed to me like ownership kind of threw him under the bus. Um, yeah, they did. By, by by sitting back saying, <laughs> by saying, hey, well, you know, we told him to, I, you know, get these guys playing time, but we didn't tell him to bench Eli Manning. And so they were kind of looked like they were trying to cover their their butts at the same time. And it just it just didn't look good all the way around. It just didn't look good at all. So I mean, I'm. It, I think the, the the Giants needed to move on from McAdoo. I think they needed to move on from, from Jerry Reese also. I just, you know, last year was a reprieve for him when, you know, they got Jack Rabbit Jenkins in there and, and he played very solid. Uh, Olivier Vernon, he played he played very solid also. Um, and so that 
that was more like a stay of execution. But then this year, they just completely regressed. They didn't address the offensive line as they should. They didn't address the, uh, address the running game uh, running game adequately. That was not on Eli Manning. And then you end the streak and then have the guy come back the next week. I mean, you don't get any do overs, and that's what they seem like they tried to do. They tried to do a do over, and it just it wasn't working. Holly, uh, Steelers, Roethlisberger versus Brady. Does Brady lose here? Roethlisberger had a good game against the Ravens, but they, you know, they they edged the Ravens here um, over 500 yards for him. So was it more Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, or was it a combination of the three? And can they beat Brady? Um, I think the Steelers Ravens game was was a great game. The Steelers came from behind, got that playoff type of win. And like you said, Big Ben was 44 of 66. I don't think I've ever seen him. I don't know if he has thrown that many passes in the games before for 500 yards and two TDs. Um, Honestly, I think it's more the Big Ben-Antonio Brown show. Uh, I think if they didn't have Antonio Brown, uh, they'd be in trouble. And I think... um, uh, he he caught uh, 11 receptions to 213 yards. That's a huge chunk of their offense. Honestly, if I'm a Steelers fan, though, I'm concerned because Bell only had 48 yards, and I think they really need more balance to their offense if they're going to go deep into the playoffs. And uh, they did what they had to to win that game, but I think they're a better team when they have uh, Bell going um, instead of having they've been throwing around 70 times. Um, you know, as far as against the Patriots, I think it really depends on what what version of the Patriots we see. I think if you see the Patriots that were rolling uh, and won eight games in a row, I think uh, I think that uh, the Patriots have a chance. But I think if they come out like they did this week against the Dolphins, I think they're in trouble because their defense can't stop anybody. And so the Steelers should be able to run the ball. And if they're able to run the ball and they're more balanced on their offensive side, the Patriots are going to have a hard time keeping up and it's going to have to be a shootout. So the Patriots can win, but they have to come out of the gate strong um, and not get behind uh, the ball, uh, so to speak. Uh, But it should be a fun game to watch. All right, guys. uh, Week uh, week 15 pretty much determines Who's, who's out already, who's not, and there's teams that obviously can play spoiler for certain matchups. So, um, Troy, let's go with you. What what two or three games are you looking for in this week? Um, is it Browns and Ravens? <laughs> uh, no, not exactly. <laughs> well, you know, what the, the matchup that I'm Just Gordon is back. Just Gordon is back. Um <laughs> The matchup I'm looking forward to watching is the Chargers-Chiefs. I mean, it, you know, the Chiefs finally got back in the winning column uh, this week uh, after beating the Raiders. And so they're 7-6. and six. The Chargers right now won three straight. I mean, they've just been destroying people. They destroyed the Cowboys, and they destroyed my, my team, the Redskins. They look like they're on a mission right now. That's going to be a Saturday game. I'm definitely looking forward to watching that one because that AFC West is, is really starting to, you know, come together. And, you know, we'll see, you know, uh, how that pans out afterwards. Also want to see the Packers-Panthers. I mean, we just got breaking news that Aaron Rodgers has been cleared to practice. I don't know if he's playing this week. Um, 
and I kind of doubt that he will. I think they'll probably want to take one more week to rest him. But if he does play, man, what an intriguing matchup to have this guy come back against the Panthers, who right now are, they're just they're on a roll also. Cam Newton is, is, is keeping that team afloat, but that defense is really what stirs the drink. Um, and they are really not getting a lot of publicity that they should, but that defense is playing fantastic this year. Um, and then he also the other game I wanted to see um, was the Rams and the Seahawks. I mean, listen, that's going to be the battle in the, the NFC West. You, you, you know, the Rams have always played well when they go up to Seattle. And Seattle isn't, you know, going to Seattle this year isn't the same as it was in, in the previous years, namely because most of their secondary is, 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 is pretty decimated. They're, you know, their top dogs up there, the Legion of Boom. You know, you got two out of three that are, that are out right now. So, you want to see how, you know, the Rams are. Are they going to learn from that Eagles game? Are they going to have that much confidence? This could be another springboard game for them. This could go a long way toward them, you know, being the team that they expect to be now um, that they've won so many games. So, um, those are the three games that I'm looking forward to this weekend. Holly, what's your uh, matchups? Um, fairly much the same, but a couple different ones. Um so I'm definitely looking forward to the, the Packers-Panthers uh, game. Uh, like Troy said, you know, Rodgers is back in the picture again. But I, I do think you're right, Troy. I don't think they'll probably play him this week because that would be, you know, a really quick turnaround, and they don't want to put him in a position to get injured Hartley's again. Hartley's played pretty well, too. So, so far, he's yeah. just kind of rid chip. He, he played really well this last game, which I think is really good for him because, if if uh, Rodgers is, is able to come back and finish out the season on a strong note, then he might be kind of that backup looking for uh, – they might be able to trade him, you know, and he might be able to get in a, a different uh, uh, position, maybe a starting uh, position somewhere else. Um, and uh, he seems to be getting better, which is good. You want to see a quarterback, especially a young one, that gets better from game to game. He's making better decisions. Um, and that's good to see. Um, and so, but I think the Panthers can make a statement by winning this game. And I think now that the Eagles um, have lost wins, I think my team out of the NFC is is the Panthers. I think they're they're scary stacks on both sides of the ball, and I think they can make a run. Um, and so I want to see that game. The second one is the Rams and, and Seahawks. Um, like I said before, I think the Rams are a better team. Um, and the Seahawks need to win this game to have any chance of getting into the playoffs. I think they're I think they have a better shot of winning the division than they do of winning the wild card. And so if they win this game, then they would have swept against the Rams and they would win the tiebreaker even if they end up in a tie. So the Seahawks need this game, but they are kind of imploding left and right here. And I think the Rams... Uh, you know, should be able to make a statement game with a win here. Um, and then obviously the, the Patriots and Steelers, um, you know, a lot of people think this is the number one, number two team in, in, uh, uh, in the league. And so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, uh, I think it should be a fun match and a high-scoring game. Um, and then the other one I want to see is the Titans at the 49ers because I'm going to the game. So I'm really excited. To you see. are. Awesome. Um, yes. So yes, you're, you're going to be out here down. in the Bay Area. Yeah. Well, I actually just got back to the Bay Area. I was uh, in Richmond uh, at the end of last week. 
Um, I've oh, wow. been flying all over the all over the place lately, and uh, but no, uh, uh, my girl and I are flying out on Saturday. And we're going to go to uh, we're staying right by the stadium, and I haven't been to the new stadium, you know, so I'm excited to see it, and, and I also get to see it in Titans and. Um, uh, my football husband play Marcus Mariota, so it should be a really fun experience. Um, and excited to see is uh, Garoppolo, you know, has what it takes and can get us to win number four. <laughs> I think you you get a win number four against Titans. It should be pretty. That should be too bad. But uh, um, I think guys, let's, I think ta- we let's talk a women's gridiron news. Um, we got about uh, ten minutes here left, so let's go into this. Las Vegas Hall of Fame game. You were there, Holly. So, uh, logistically, probably not the best thing, but it's year one, and the West did come out and won thirty to zero. So, I'm I'm hoping you did have a, a good time, besides some of the logistics issues. Uh, yes, uh, it was a it was a fun weekend. I mean, first of all, I got to go to Vegas and see Sun. You know, which we don't have a lot of in Seattle, especially right now. And I actually got a little sunburned the first day, which is great. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it is the first year of the event, um, so there were some logistical hiccups. Um, but as far as the the West uh, side team, we had a really good time. Um, the Utah organization ran a lot of it, uh, and, you know, anything that they touch is, is well run and organized, and they did a great job. Uh, it was interesting uh, you know, learning from different people, different coaches, uh, coming together with, with different people from different teams. It's always a fun part of going to games like this or camps. It's it's just a learning experience. And so for me, uh, anytime I get any more action like this, it, I feel like it just makes you a better player. And so I had a fun time. Um, it was the first uh uh, I was able to play the entire weekend without any kind of brace, so uh, I'm really excited about that because I'm turning the corner on my physical therapy. Um, I had a great time with the people I played with. The game itself was fun. Um, you know, there's some, there was a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, and it was, it was just fun to be in Vegas in December. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, Vegas is always fun to be in, in especially in December. It's really nice, especially if you come from where you're at. It's kind of groomy and rainy all the time. Um, So, guys, we had some bowls, some championships taking place internationally. Uh, The U.S. bombshell, let's talk about that first before uh, we get out of here. But um, Holly and Troy, uh, Odessa Jenkins splits from the WFA. The Dallas elite remain in the WFA with its current owner. She splits. And she, lo and behold, she goes to the IWFL, and uh, she rebrands or, you know, comes up with a new team, and she names the team Texas Elite uh, versus Dallas Elite. So a lot of questions there. But um, most of the players from the Elite, from what I'm being told, will be on the Texas Elite. So this is the dream matchup we wanted. Falcons Elite, uh, be it not the Dallas Elite, but the Texas elite, uh, it's going to be pretty awesome if, the, if this uh, this is what's going to work out now. I, I definitely wow. think so. Go ahead, Troy. Sorry. No, I, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm just I'm doing my wow moment. That's all. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. <laughs> that's okay. Wow. 
It's okay. Um, no, I mean, it's really interesting. And I, I think, um, you know, I'm not sure what the backstory is on it. I think uh, I'm not sure that, you know, most people know the backstory yet. Um, pretty much what I know is what you said. Um, and it looks like they've taken a bunch of uh, the Dallas elites and created a new team, the, the Texas Elite and then IWFL. And so what, what you're seeing is the IWFL is, is now getting really strong, especially all on the West Coast and the West Western side of the United States. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see what remains of the Dallas Elite in the WFA. And, you know, like, it, it's amazing. Like, I, maybe, you know, I, I know Odessa is a very competitive person, and maybe she wanted to try to conquer, you know, two leagues at once. I, I don't know what's going on. But I'm just excited because of the matchup, like you were saying. Like, now we have we have Dallas and we have uh, Utah, we have San Diego, we have our team in Seattle, you know, and that's a lot more depth on, on the Western side, which means we're going to have a, a lot more uh, awesome matchups on the side, which is what we need, honestly, because like you said, Oscar, before, a lot of those marquee mar- matchups have been on the Eastern seaboard, especially because they're a lot closer together. Maybe this is what we need as a sport. We need a, a Western uh, side to step up. So I'm excited. Awesome. I know it's going to be uh, – the only thing I got uh, from our sources was that there was an ownership split and that some of the players obviously were going to choose a side, whether it be going to the Texas Elite or the stay with the Dallas Elite. So at this point, that's all we pretty much know. So we'll see how it pans out as the uh, we progress into the season in, in, in April. Um, the two championships on, in FX Mexico and Lexfa Mexico – you catch everything on our Facebook page or the feeds there. Uh, I want to give a shout out to OFA Networks on uh, YouTube and Tercer Cuarto on Facebook for the coverage. Congratulations to the Vikingas who won their Division One championship. This is, I think, their third in a row, almost fourth in a row. Uh, so congratulations to them and Coach uh, Castillo, who was the head coach of the national, the uh, women's national team as well. So uh, congratulations to him for another championship in uh, FX Mexico. The Kingas taking care of the uh, Toluca Lobos. Um, and so the other matchup was um, in Lexfa, the uh, Legionarias of the uh, Uni International. They win uh, versus the Jets Balbuena, who the Jets were actually the returning champs, and they just blew them out 34-7. to Legionarias came back pretty strong. You can catch both matchups. Uh, on our Facebook page, get the link there to the YouTube channels, and the uh, you can also catch the Tercer Cuarto. Um, and there's highlights for uh, FX uh, matchups uh, if you follow uh, Facebook.com forward slash Liga FXF. Championships happening there in both leagues. We also have uh, in great uh, the Gridiron West in uh, Australia. Gridiron West in Australia was week 10. The Blitz stay undefeated. The Perth Blitz, uh, they win 22 to 12 versus the Perth Broncos, which are four and two now. The uh, West Coast Wolverines uh, win 16 to zero against the uh, Swan City Titans. Titans undefeated, uh, I mean uh, unwinless at this point, 0 and seven, and the uh, Wolverines four and three. Going into Week 11, uh, the matchups can be very crucial here. The Curtain Saints 
on an upswing. They will clash with the undefeated Blitz in this next coming week, so that will decide some of the matchups there in terms of standings. But the Blitz completely undefeated right now. Uh, they they own this uh, you know inaugural season. The 2018 Women's um, National Tournament, uh, Gridiron Australia announced that it's going to be in Perth. It'll be a nine versus nine. It, it originally was scheduled to be an 11 versus 11 traditional, but it's going to be nine versus nine. It's going to be May 27th through June 4th, 2018, and that's going to be in Perth, uh, West Australia. Um, I'm pretty sure the uh, Blitz or the Broncos will host that. The other news we have is overseas. Legends Football League kicks off its uh, Black Energy Drink uh, All-Star Games, and that's going to be presented by Pro Polska. And that's going to be in Poland, January 20th, January 27th, and February 3rd. Uh, they're going to be all over in Poland. Um, so you can catch the uh, updates there as they come up. And it's been pretty exciting there as well. So, um, Holly, we got a, about five minutes here, but Lexfa and FX Mexico, uh, the four divisions there in each league, pretty exciting times uh, this weekend, championship weekend all, all over Mexico. So it's pretty awesome. No, definitely. I mean, I've really enjoyed um, getting to know the, the leagues down there and watching them develop. And, you know, they've been around a lot longer than most people realize. And um, it's pretty exciting stuff. And um, I'm excited to see the outcome of it. Troy, FX Mexico, we talked about it. Pretty awesome. They're the ones that pretty much put together the, the national team for the World Championship. So, uh, four champions this weekend. Lexfront, three champions this weekend. So, uh, awesome football in Mexico. Yeah, again, man, I'm just I'm so excited about, you know, um, uh, so many, um, you know, uh, globally why, how the game is just expanding right now. And so, you know, Lexfront definitely has a lot to be um, proud of at this point. Now, you guys can catch all the action on our Facebook page. Uh, go to facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. Go to our Twitter feed and get the link there for YouTube as well. You can catch uh, uh, the official pages. It's uh, FX uh, on, on um, Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash FXX, and then on uh, facebook.com forward slash Lexfa, L-E-X-F-A. So, uh, guys, what a great show. We had Nicole uh, Rodriguez here from NNPR Group. And she's always very informative, big-time Raider fan as well. And then we have all the NFL actions coming up this next week, playoff implications, who's going to be in, who's out, wild-card spots on the line. Um, you know, my Rams, I hope. I hope they take care of business up north. Um, you got Garofalo, Holly with another showing for the Niners to see going forward. And, Troy, you got – I think, uh, you know, the matchup's going to be pretty awesome. Steelers, Ravens, you got – the matchup you were talking about as well with the the Panthers. So it's going to be an exciting weekend of football. Yeah, I mean, that the, the Patriots-Steelers is going to be enormous. I mean, that's, that's like Armageddon in the AFC right now. I mean, you know, the, the Patriots took that, you know, loss to the Dolphins this past week. I mean, you, and anytime you see that team lose and Bill Belichick has a, has a uh, press conference like that, Steelers better beware, man. I'm, I'm telling you right now, the, the Patriots are going to come in there and they're going to try to make a point when they when they play this game. So if you're a Steelers fan, brace yourself. Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome. You guys can go to the Zazzle.com shop, 
check everything out there and get your stuff for ho- uh, the holidays early, Christmas gifts early. Thank you, everybody, for uh, purchasing, like I said, the Not a, uh, Not a Boys game and the Yes, I, am a, I, I Play Football and I'm a Girl shirts. I really appreciate it. Uh, so go to the site for every shirt. Obviously, we incorporate another talented MVP player internationally. Don't forget to check us out on our Instagram. And coming up in January, we are going to be on Snapchat. So uh, it's a pretty exciting time. So for Holly Custis, Troy Wilson, we'll catch you here next week for another edition of the Great Iron Blitz right here on Apple Podcasts and Block Talk Radio. Have a great night, everybody. Good night. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.